And so Hebrews chapter 10, open your Bibles, turn on your smartphones, turn on your tablets, whatever you got. Hebrews chapter 10, we're going to read 19 through 25. We want to say a special welcome to our Taunton campus that watches our messages by video, meeting now at the Holiday Inn in Taunton, Massachusetts. We're so glad that you guys are with us as well. Everybody in North Attleboro, you know what to do. Let's welcome them in. Um, hello. I want you to understand that God is a community. God is not just for community. God is community. In the very beginning, God says, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. Those are plural pronouns. He didn't say, let me make man in my image. He said, let us make man in our image. And he wasn't talking to angels. <laughs> He's talking to himself. Because we know that God is one God in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and help me out, God the and so God is one, three in one, which means that God is a community. And he is all about community. In fact, the reason why God created man was so that man would be in community with God. And that's how it was in the beginning. And God creates man and he says, this isn't good, he's all alone. And so he gives him a wife and he takes his rib out and gives Adam a wife. And Adam wakes up and says, whoa, man woman <laughs> and then God says to the community there it is the start of the community he says this is what I want you to do I want you to be fruitful and multiply and let's not dance around or sanitize the scriptures that means God was telling them make love and make babies and Adam was like whoa man <laughs> all right you get it now okay never mind um, God is all about community and, he, and we're all here for community, and we need community. And the intention of God from the beginning was that the community of God and the community of man would dwell in community together. That was God's intention. And the Bible shows us that sin comes into the world. And sin is anything that you do that puts I in the center. That's what sin is, a very basic definition S-I-N. Sin happens when I am in the center of the universe. And I don't care about you and I don't care about others. I'm going to put my own wants, needs, and desires first. And that's not how it's meant to be. We are meant to love and care for one another equally, if not more, than for ourselves. And we are to love and, and honor God. That's why the Bible is summed up in two commandments. Love God most of all and love your neighbor as you love yourself. What's that all about? Community with God, community with people. If you could, if you could sum up the Bible in one sentence, I, 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 I worked this out today, uh, this week and I thought, I thought this was going to be a real clear way of summing up the entire uh, body of Scripture. Uh, that the Bible is a book written by a community, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, to a community, the worldwide people of God, about community, fellowship one with another and fellowship with God, that God is in the process of reconciling ourselves to him and bringing us close to him and to each other. It's all about community. Well, when sin comes in, sin disrupts community. Because sin puts I in the center. Sin says, I don't care about you. I care about me. Sin says, your needs don't matter. Mine do more than yours. 
And that's really the heart of sin. And so what happens is Adam and Eve, they eat of the forbidden fruit. Sin comes in, destroys community. They are driven from the presence of God. Community with God, no longer optional. But God says, I'm going to take care of this problem. And he, and he institutes laws and commandments and then sacrifices of bulls, blood, the, bulls, the blood of bulls and goats and sheep and lambs. And, and so that what? So that our sins could be washed away and we could dwell with God. That all of that in the Old Testament was not really there to stay long term. It was all pointing to one final accomplishment in the person and work of Jesus Christ, God's only begotten Son. That all the sacrifices of the Old Testament were pointing toward the final and complete sacrifice that Jesus, God's Son, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, would accomplish for us at the cross 2,000 years ago. And when Jesus died on the cross, there's this curious phrase in the Gospels. It says that when he breathed his last, that the temple, in the temple there was a veil separating the Holy of Holies where God dwelt and the place where man dwelt. That veil was torn in two from top to bottom, thus illustrating who was doing the tearing. God was doing the tearing. And God was allowing his presence out and our presence in. And now because of Jesus... We all have access to the presence of Almighty God. Because of the blood of Jesus Christ, we can enter into the presence of Almighty God. And I believe that is where change happens. Change happens in the presence of God. And so Hebrews chapter 10, if you have a Bible, let's stand together and read verse 19 through 25. Chapters 1 through 10 of Hebrews is basically a summation of what I just said but how Christ is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament sacrifices and that his sacrifice and work on the cross is superior to all the Old Testament sacrifices and that he makes a way for us to have access. Now look at it, verse 19, in that context. Here's what he says. Therefore, and whenever you see therefore in scriptures, you have to know what it's there for. And what it's there for is it's telling us this is what Jesus did and because of what Jesus did, this is now what we can do. He says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence, somebody say confidence, to enter the holy places by the blood of, not lambs, but the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, that's Jesus, let us draw near, and notice that he says, let us draw near to God with true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And then he says in verse 23, again, let us, somebody say, let us, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Number three, verse 24, and let us, somebody say, let us, consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. And then number four, verse 25, in the NIV, it says, let us, and somebody say, let us, not neglect meeting together. In other words, let's not stop getting together in community. And he says this, as the habit of some, but let us encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day of Christ approaching. How many know that Jesus is coming back? Yes. Amen. Are you excited that Jesus is coming back? Yes. Well, guess what the Bible tells us? In light of the fact that Jesus is coming back, get together regularly in community. Somebody say amen. 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 God bless you. Have a seat in the presence of each other and in the Lord. In this series about real change, we've been talking about the who of change. The who of change. Who's the who of change? The who of change is Jesus. 
Last week, we talked about the how of change. How does God change us? We talked about this, and we said it's, it's, it happens through relationship. Not ritual, not routine, not form and tradition, not churchianity. Relationship with God is what brings about the change that God wants to have in our lives. So it's not about do and don't. It's about have relationship. And in that relationship, let God's love for you change you into a person who wants to obey God because you have a personal relationship with a loving Heavenly Father who lovingly gave His Son for the sacrifice for your sins. And now today we're talking about the where of change. Where do we change? I believe we are changed, as I've already said, in the presence of God. Now, how do we get into the presence of God? Because many of you are probably saying to me right now, I thought that God was everywhere. Isn't God everywhere? Yeah, he is everywhere. But Jesus said this, whenever two or three of you gather together in my name, Jesus said, there I am in the midst of them. You need to know something today. You did not walk into the presence of just each other today. You walked into this room, and the presence of Jesus Christ is in here with us right now. And that is a good thing for us, because that's where change happens. And if you want change to happen in your life, you need to understand this most of all going forward. Change happens in community. That's the title of the message today. Change happens in community. We come into the presence of God. We have access through Jesus Christ. And now because of the presence of God, we are changed in the presence of each other where God dwells. I'm willing to bet that most of you don't really feel or think about the presence of God with you most of the time. But you come into this room and something changes. You come to church and now you're mind is switched on and your heart is attentive to the reality that there is a God that he loves you and that he wants to be with you. I'm willing to bet that many of you did not think about the presence of God last night while the Patriots were thumping the Broncos. I'm willing to bet that most of you don't think about the presence of God when you're on a way to a crucial business meeting. I'm willing to bet that many of you don't think about the presence of God when you're in the middle of a marital fight or a spat with your children. But I'm willing to bet that today you come into the church and you experience the worship and the praise. And as that goes up in song and worship to Almighty God, something happens in the presence of the Lord here today. And we experience something that we don't experience anywhere else in life. We experience the life transformational power of the presence of Almighty God. That's why you got to get together in community. That's why not just here, but in small group, you get together in community because change happens when we come into the presence of God. Now, the Bible is not, and I want to say something that's going to shock many of you. The Bible is not as personal as you tend to think. We live in a very highly individualized society. In fact, one of the values of our society and our culture in America today is individuality. Pick yourself up by your own bootstraps and do your own thing and live your own life and let no one else tell you what to do or how to do it. Be your own person and go your own way and live your own life. You can go your own way. Go your own way. You missed that. You missed it. You had opportunity to join me, but you didn't. Frank Sinatra saying, I did it. My, very good. <laughs> and we kind of prize this sense that I'm going to live my life. 
The Bible is not like that. In fact, the Bible, most of the time, when it says the words you, is not talking about just little old you. The plural, the, the nouns and the, I mean, the pronouns in the Greek are plural. Almost every time you see the, plural, the word you in the New Testament, it's not talking about a one-person you. That's the problem with the English translation. The English translation makes every you plural or singular. You don't know. Because the, the pronoun for you plural is the same as the pronoun for you singular. In the Greek, it's not that way. And if you read the Bible in the Greek, which I know you don't do, that's why I'm telling you this. <laughs> is that you see most of the pronouns you in the Greek are talking to a group of people. So the Bible is not nearly as individual as you think. It is actually very communal. And most of the time when it says you, it's talking about us, we. And it's saying, do this together, not alone. Let me just sum it up like this. Following Christ is not a me and God event. It is a we and God event. It is a community experience because change happens in community. And so now today, the Bible says, in the, in the book of Hebrews, we read it, four things that we're supposed to do together. And the reason why we know that we're supposed to do this together is because in Hebrews 9, uh, 10, 19 through 25, four times the writer says the words, let us, not let me, not let you, let, somebody say it, us. And so what do we do? Let us, he says, draw near to God together. Let us hold on to what we believe together. Let us stir one another up to love and good deeds. How do we do that? We do that together. Number four, let us not give up getting together. And so over and over and over again, the Bible's saying, get together. That's why we do small group. That's why we're here. Because you can't do this alone. So I want to talk about those four things, and then we're going to close. Number one, let us um, draw near to God. We do this in community. He says, with true heart, full assurance of faith, with our hearts, plural, sprinkled and clean with a, uh, from an evil conscience, and our bodies, plural, washed with pure water. You draw near to God in community. You draw near to God not alone. You draw near to God together. In the Old Testament, where was God? He was in a temple in a city called Jerusalem in a nation called Israel. In the New Testament, the presence of God, the Bible says, is our bodies. In, he, in 1 Corinthians 3.16, let's look at what it says. It says, don't you know that you are God's temple? You are God's temple now in the New Testament. And that you are a place where God dwells by his spirit. When you get together in community like this, when we get together in small group, we are getting together in the presence of God because the presence of God is in every person who proclaims Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Your body is not your own. Your body now belongs to God. That's why you need to ask God before you get that tattoo. Because it's his body, all right? And I'm not saying it's wrong or right. That's not for me to say. It's up to, you know, God. But you pray about it. You see what happens. All right, number... <laughs> Moving forward, when we gather together and we draw near to God in community, um, sometimes, here's, here's what you need to understand, I believe that it empowers our prayers. See, when we pray alone, 
We tend to not see, sometimes we don't see the answers. Do you know what the Bible says? Here's the remedy. Pray about it with somebody else. Bring it to prayer with two or three. Jesus said, if any of you, if any two of you agree about anything on earth, it will be done by my Father, which is in heaven. What's he telling us to do? Pray together. 1 John 5, 14 also backs this up. And notice the pronouns that John uses about prayer in these verses. He says, and this is the confidence that we have toward him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. How many times did he say, we, 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 us, us, we, we, we? That, that's the summing it up right there. It is a we event. It is not a me event. It is a we event. Everybody say it with me. It's a we event. Together, drawing close to God in prayer is meant to happen in community. Let me tell you why. Let me tell you why. When we pray alone and we pray for our needs, most of the time, even if we're not aware of it, we can turn selfish. And our prayers become very centered on me right now. God, I just want you to do this for me, and I want you to do that for me, and I want you to help me out here, and I want you to help me do this, and give me that. And, and we've all done this now. I'm not even going to ask you to raise your hand, because I know you've all done this. You've prayed a very selfish prayer. You all have. You've come out of the convenience store, and you've held out that card and said, God, I pray that as I scratch these numbers, <laughs> you'll just give me a million dollars. Come on, you've done it, you've done it, or you bought the ticket and said, dear God, help me to meet the million-dollar payday. Would you ever do that in small group? Of course not. Could you imagine a small group, you get together with your small group, and the small group is great, you're having a conversation about God, then the leader says, okay, it's time to close, let's have some prayer, let's lift up everybody's needs. Uh, John, what do you got to pray for? Oh, I, I got to pray for my job, I'm not sure, things are not working out, they might drop me off. Okay, we're going to pray for John to keep his job. Mary, what do you got? Oh, me and my husband, we're having a bit of a hard time with our son, can you pray? Mary, we'll pray for you and your son, no problem. Okay, Susan over here, what's it? well, my grandfather's sick and it's not looking good. Oh, we're going to pray for your grandfather, Susan, we love you, we're going to pray for him. And they get to you. And you hold out your little scratch ticket. <laughs> you say, oh, I'm just going to ask you all to just lay hands on this ticket. Just hands right here. Let's just get some anointing oil over here. Let's get some anointing oil on this. And let's pray, guys. I really need God to give me a million dollars. Would you ever do that? Of course not. And if you did, they'd all say, oh, we're going to split that uh, equally amongst us <laughs> if that happens. When we come together in community and draw close to God, it gets our eyes off of just little old me, and it turns us on to we. And we start to think about what really is important. Because in this world, it is a very individualized society. And we've got to break that. Because you're not meant to do this thing alone. And you can't do this thing alone, by the way. Following Christ is not a me and God event. It is a we and God event. What is the first thing that Jesus did when he started his ministry? He started a small group. That's what he did. He walked by the Sea of Galilee. He said, you guys follow me. And he walked by the tax collector booth of Matthew. He says, you follow me too. 
He found some other people. He said, you follow me, you follow me. And he just brought in a small group of community and 12 guys, 12 guys. He ministered to thousands. He fed thousands. He talked and preached to thousands. But at the end of the day, he left the whole mission in the hands of his small group. And we're all here today because of that small group of 12 men who turned the world upside down. What could God do through you in small group when you're in the presence of God and you're drawing near to him with a heart full of assurance of faith? Powerful things can happen in a small group. Number two, he tells us, look at what he says. Verse 23, let us hold on. Let us hold on to what we believe, the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. You hold on to your walk with Christ in community. Some of you need to hear this. Isolation is the devil's favorite weapon. Loves to get you alone. And we know that isolation is a bad thing. We know this. We know this because when we put guys in prison, if we really want to punish them, where do we put them? Solitary confinement. When our little rugrats are running wild around the house, where do we put them? In timeout. Because we know that isolation is a bad thing. What makes you think it's any different for the kingdom of God? The devil loves to get you alone. And here's one of the things he loves to do with you. He loves to whisper in your ear, you're the only one that struggles with this. No, but you, you're really messed up. I mean, I know that there's some Christians messed up, but you, my friend, you really are messed up. That's what the devil loves to do. When you get in a small group, you realize, I'm not the only one that's messed up. In fact, compared to that guy, I'm pretty good. <laughs> and, and by implication, you start to hold on to your faith. You think to yourself, well, I, hey, I've, I've come a long way, and, and I'm doing well. And, and, then, and then you have the power to speak into that person's life and say, you know, I remember when I struggled with finances. And here's what happened. Or, or I remember when my wife and I were going through that difficult time, and here's what we did. And you start to hold on to your faith in community. Because you're not meant to do this alone. The Bible is a book written by community, for community, about community to a community. It's all about community. So we hold on to our faith in community. The, um, the, the one thing that we've got to understand is that this thing is like an exercise, and I've got a very important date from my own personal life. It's a very selfish date, and I just want to tell you about it for a minute. Um, February 6, 2012, very important date for me. I'll tell you why. Because it marks 10 years of me working out regularly, exercising for 10 years. And uh, yeah, thank you. Um, now you don't have to clap. I'm just, I'm just telling you a story now, okay? When I first started working out, somebody told me something that has helped me keep on keeping on when I didn't want to. And I'll never forget it. They came up and they told me, listen, Tim, there's going to be times when you work out that you're not going to want to work out. I want to give you a clue. When you feel like working out the least is when you need to work out the most. And I don't know why, but that always stuck in my head. And it has helped me push myself 
to continue exercising for 10 years. And I believe that we all should exercise. It's good for your body. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Treat it right. It doesn't mean that you have to, it doesn't mean that you have to be a muscle man like me, okay? You just <laughs> have to exercise. And so, but when, <laughs> when I have felt like doing it the least is when I knew, it clicked in my head, I need to do this the most. Let me tell you this. When you feel like getting in community with the people of God the least is when you need to do it the most. Here's what the Bible says in Psalm 84. Blessed, blessed are those who dwell or abide in your house. Now, we've already talked about the house of God in the New Testament. What's the house of God in the New Testament? Our bodies, each other, our community of faith. Blessed are those who, you can translate this now in the New Testament, who who dwell with other believers in the house of God. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose hearts are highways to Zion where God lives. Again, where does God live in the New Testament? He lives in us. And it says this, this is the promise for those who get in community. He says in verse 6, as they go through the valley of Paca, which just means valley of weeping, they will make it a place of springs. In other words, your mourning will turn to joy when you get in community. And the early rain also covers it with pools. And they will go, look at this word. They will go from what? From strength to strength as each one appears before God in Zion. What's the Bible telling us? You get stronger in community with other believers. And when you feel like doing small group the least is when you need it the most. And it'll empower your faith and stir you up. Number three, that's what he says. Let us stir one another up. We got to do this together. You can't stir yourself up sometimes. I mean, sometimes you can, but most times you need somebody to stir you. Every time there's a team on the field of play and they're having a bad go at it, what do they do? They, they get everybody around on the sideline and, or they get everybody around the dugout and they say, hey, wake up. Let's go. We're playing like a bunch of wussies out there. Let's go. Let's take this thing on. Let's go. And they, what do they do? They rile each other up. Then they put all their hands and they say, what, one, two, three. What do they say on one, two, three? One, two, three. Team. Right? Because you need to stir each other up in community. That's what small groups are for. To get together in team and say, yeah, we can do this together. And you hear about what God's doing in somebody else's life. In community. Because let's be honest, right now, as much as I love this moment, this Sunday morning event, I love it, the problem is the only person that you guys are hearing from is me. And there are stories in this congregation that are more powerful for you, that could help you, that could cause you to think differently about your marriage, your parenting, your finances, your relationships, and they would empower you to take your life to another level, but you'll never hear that. Until you get in community and you start talking to each other. I have a, I have a group of pastors that I meet with. This, I kind of call them my small group. And, and they have ministered into my life. And many of the things that I needed to change in my life have come about because of those men who challenged me and spoke into my life when I needed it. It's all about community. You were not made to do this alone. All right? And so we stir one another up. We stir one another up to love and good deeds. Now, I want to show you something from these three verses. Uh, verse 22, verse 23, and verse 24. Check this out. Notice the nouns in these three verses. He says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of what? Of faith. 
Then verse 23, let us hold fast to the confession of our, what's that word? Of our hope. And then he says in verse 25, and let us consider how to stir one another up to what? Love. Faith, hope, and love. Didn't we hear about that before? 1 Corinthians 13, 13. If you've been to one wedding, you've heard it. And now these three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. What happens in community? Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. I think that you've got to understand this. These three things are the only things you're taking to heaven with you. Your relationships with people of like faith, of great hope, and of great love. In heaven, there's probably not going to be 60-inch LCD TVs. Probably not going to be any smartphones in heaven, because you're not going to need it. You're going to be smart enough, trust me. But in heaven, there's going to be a whole bunch of faith, hope, and love. So get in the habit of community around people who are exhibiting faith, hope, and love. And when you do that, you're going to be very well-versed in the language and nature of heaven and you're going to be a blessing to other people. And your life and your, your faith are going to be strengthened up in Christ. Verse 25, the last thing he says this. Let us not, number four, let us not give up meeting together. Summing it all up. Because all these things, faith, hope, and love, all these things that are potentially yours in Christ in community. Don't stop getting together. Have a community of faith. And the word here. Forgive up in the Greek could also be translated forsaken. Let's not forsake giving or getting together. The same Greek word is used by Jesus on the cross when he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The same Greek word. What's the writer of Hebrews telling us? The writer of Hebrews is telling us when you when you forsake Getting together in community is like feeling abandoned on the cross as Jesus felt when he hung and died for our sins. And what's the worst part about the cross for Jesus? The worst part about the cross for Jesus was that for the first time in eternity's history, Jesus and the Father were separated. Because God laid on him the sins of all of us. And where sin was, God cannot be. And he was separated from the Father for that moment, and he died, and then he rose again. He's, he reunited with the Father, of course. But... That moment, he felt forsaken. And I thought about it, and I just want to say this. Some of you feel forsaken. Some of you feel absolutely abandoned. And some of you don't feel close to God at all. Do you know, you know it might be a sin in your life. It might be. Unconfessed sin does that to us. It, it might be a habit that you just need to break. It might be, you know, you're just not praying enough. And I get that, but I think that it might just be as simple as this. You just have no Christian community. And you're trying to do this alone, and you can't. You need Christian community. It's all about community. That's what heaven's going to be about. That's what we've got to practice now on this earth. I want to close by telling you a story about a man named George Mueller. Some of you Christian historians, you might know this, this name, George Mueller. He is the father of the modern orphanage movement. And in England in the 1800s, George Mueller... Uh, unbeknownst to many Christians, up until the age of 30, George Mueller was a drunk, a thief, a liar, and a gambler. Up until the age of 30. When he was 10 years old, he was stealing money from his father. 
When he was 14 years old, his mom was dying in the hospital. Do you know what he was doing while his mom was dying in the hospital? At 14 years old, he was playing cards with his friends and drinking. This man was a heathen. When he turned 30, his father enrolled him in seminary. And the only reason why he enrolled him in seminary is so that he would get a Christian education, that he could be employed by the church, which was and is still funded by the state in England. And it wasn't for any religious reason whatsoever. He just wanted his son to have a reliable source of income. So he got him a, a, a spot in the English or whatever seminary that he went to. I don't remember the name. While he was studying for religious studies to get a religious job that was very secured by the government, he met a girl. And the girl was very beautiful. And she invited him, check this out, to a small group meeting of Christians. And he went to that small group. And he saw some people in that group that he didn't understand. They're totally different people. They were happy. They were joyful. And they weren't anything like him. And in that group, he saw a man on his knees. And he was bowing on his knees before God. And he was confessing his sins and crying out to Jesus and asking Jesus to come into his heart and change his life. And George Mueller will testify later that at that moment, the Holy Spirit got a hold of him. And he went home that day and he got on his knees and he got on his, uh, on his knees before God and he said, God, I am asking you to forgive me of all my sins and I ask Jesus to come into my life. And at that moment, his life was turned around 180 degrees. Years later, he would marry a woman. And then they would have 30 girls in their home as an orphanage. Started with 30 girls. And Every year, they added more kids and depended more on God. In fact, George Mueller is best known for praying about every need and never asking anybody for anything. And God always provided time and time again. To the point that at the end of his life, George Mueller and his wife had cared for and housed 10,000 orphans. Started 117 Christian schools and educated upwards of 120,000 children in the faith. All of this happened because he went to a small group of Christians who made an impression on him, changed his life, and changed his world. That, my friends, is the power of Christian community. That's the potential of our small groups. What could God do with you? What could God do with you? I want to tell you, some of you, it's time to drop the facade that you can do this on your own. No one's a self-made man. No one's a self-made woman. Somebody had a hand in making you who you are. Now somebody needs to have a hand in making you the man or woman of faith that God has called you to be. Stop trying to do it on your own. Get in community and be a part of a life-changing event that can turn your world around. This nation needs people who are strong in their faith. We, we, we need a bunch more Tim Tebow. And let them crucify us up and down. I don't care what they say about him. God loves him and has a powerful hand upon him. And we need to be more like him in the church. Come out of our shell.
Stop being so scared about everything. Stop being so worried about what people think. Be empowered. How do we get empowered? You can't just do it by yourself, friend. You need a community. You need a group of people who will bear up your burdens, pray for you, and seek the face of God with you. You need somebody to help you. Put their arm around you and say, yeah, we're in this together. We're going to make it to the end together as a power community. I want you to stand with me.